Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Jew and Gentile podcast. Uh, Steve, we're entering the Jew and Gentile podcast uh, a little bit more somber than we normally do. Whoa. See, now it's exciting. <laughs> way, way, way to go, Chris. <laughs> Sorry. You take a moment, and then it becomes something else. Yeah, <laughs> we tried. Y- y- we did we try. Tried. And it is somber, and it is sad. Uh, all of us are aware of what happened on Saturday. You awoke Eastern time. I was on the West Coast mm-hmm. actually doing a prophecy conference at PUC, and uh, we were able to see images on the TV and hear news reports, and uh, the rest is history, and we're following it. And, you know, in the sovereignty of God, Chris, uh, and his providence— a mistake, and boy, don't we make mistakes? Yes. Well, we have somebody. I just made P- one. We have that's right. <laughs> we we have a PhD, a guy who's an archaeologist, and he made a mistake, or maybe it was Jim Showers. I don't know which one made the mistake, but because of that mistake, it turns out into a blessing. It became our tell, blessing. Tell us who we have through that mistake. Well, we are joined by Doctor Price and Mrs. Price. Hello, you two. Thank you for joining us. Notice he well, called you Dr. Well, Price and Mrs. Price. That, that, you know what that means? But first We're he, in awe. Hey, that's we, right. Yes, yes, but first he called us a mistake. Uh, <laughs> no, I did that. I did, did that. that. I did that. A blessed I, mistake. Yeah, no, right. we're so thankful that you both are here. Thank you. Um, yes, this turns into a blessing for us. Yeah, uh, he, was, he, he got his days mixed up, or Jim got his days mixed up. He's supposed to be here tomorrow, even coming today, but he came yesterday. So we get him today. To be able to do really share his expertise, we're really happy. Yes, because that. you're going to add a level of expertise that Steve and I don't have. Way above all. our pay grade. hundred percent. Way above. Well, we're thankful that you're here, and um, like I said to you earlier, normally our listeners who t- tune in are they get exciting music, they hear uh, a great time, a couple jokes in the beginning with Steve and I, but this isn't a time to joke because Israel is under attack and Israel is at war for the first time in fifty years. Um, Randall, why don't you give us some insights? You've practically lived in Israel, I feel like, um, and uh, you bring insights that Steve and I just can't don't have. Why don't you share with us some thoughts about what you see going on in Israel, um, the surprise attack that Hamas had on the Jewish state? I think the biggest uh, problem for Israeli citizens is the feeling of a lack of security. Mm. Um, you saw some people I saw one video of someone being attacked, and they were basically saying, you know, Ein Betach, Ein Betach, you know, there's there's no security. Where's the security? Um, and and that's a fear because one reason the Jewish state existed was a refuge for people coming from the Holocaust, coming from around the world. They would have a safe haven uh, in the midst of an anti-Semitic uh, climate and certainly a Gentile world where they could... Uh, practice their faith where they could live normal lives. And that uh, that reality is at least hopeful reality that shattered a bit by the uh, surprise attack uh, coming uh, certainly on a Shabbat and coming on Simchat Torah mm. when um, you know they're celebrating God giving his Torah and uh, a day of rest, extended rest from the holiday, uh, which is why explains in some part the, the lack of some security, just like at Yom Kippur War in 73. Um, but also from the, the the point of view that there is a great deal of misunderstanding or at least lack of understanding as to why uh, this could happen given the intelligence, given uh, all, all that Israel 
is famous for in terms of the knowledge of their borders, and particularly with Gaza. Well, you know, you um, you alluded to the Yom Kippur War. It's in a lot of ways there is similarities, and same thing happened uh, with uh, in the 1973 with Golda Meir and uh, the uh, the. In the knowledge that they had of something coming and the strife and stress of not doing anything and then all of a sudden being overrun. And here it is, a holiday, uh, Simchat Torah, as you said, and then uh, the idea of this no one knew and the surprise attack. Uh, you, you Give us uh, some insight as to uh, the surprise you know people there. You mm. probably have talked to some people there. Do you have any testimony of the of the things that uh, happened? Well, because the invasion was on kibbutzim and to people invading people's bedrooms, their house, and mm-hmm. children hiding under beds and being pulled out or watching parents and grandparents killed right in front of them. And, and worse things happening. People have been looking into the background of horrible brutality and uh, mutilation of bodies and all of these things that uh, violate Jewish sacredness of the body anyway. But all of these things um, just are are added shock factor. So Mm. there's a surprise that it happened and when it happened and and where it happened in some of these smaller uh, kibbutzim communities. Uh, But the fact that it was overwhelming and then the level of aggression that was seen. Uh, it, it when you see some of the videos of people just escorting elderly people and, and people around uh, as though they normally would, they realize in a moment later those bodies are going to be laying on the ground. It's just, it, um, it it's something that I think we can't understand because we don't know the mentality behind it. Mm-hmm. I think we just think well, these are just very cruel people. It's, it's far deeper than that. It's something we ought to probably explore a little bit. You yeah. want to kiss your mic. Uh, make sure, move it closer to you. Kiss your mic, that, and there'll be good. Well, I just want to say, I, I do want to explore that. I'd like to rewind for a moment, though, because you had talked about the fact that it was Simchat Torah and it was Shabbat. Now, most people, they don't understand maybe what's going on with Shabbat um, in uh, in our... Thank you, Laura. I really appreciate that. Um they don't understand what's going on during Shabbat in America. Um, can you describe really quick so that people understand what Shabbat is for the Israeli culture? And it really doesn't matter whether you're, you know, oftentimes I think your mind goes to, oh, this is um, for the religious. It's not, Shabbat isn't just for the religious. It was, it's a, it's an Israeli um, part of the week that most uh, people uh, do the same events for the most part. Um, some more religious, some more secular, but it's not like they ignore Shabbat or Sabbath. Can you share with that a little bit as it, in light of the uh, uh, attack that took place? Yeah, I think we have to remember that they just have one day off. Sunday is a work day. And so, you know, they've progressively taken Friday also mm-hmm. as an extra day. But it's, um, it's that one focus day uh, for family, uh, for reflection, for just putting everything away. But you put... Uh, even secular and atheist, uh, to a degree, uh, just say, I'm going to practice what I've known growing up and what everyone does. So cell phones are usually off. Uh, maybe a television is left on and someone watches something. 
But for the most part, uh, there's little communication. It's just basically a day of rest, a day of uh, a family, but not uh, of extensive travel. Uh, there's some of that, but not much. So you can understand, especially coming off of a high holiday, the last of the high holidays, in which you've had more of an extended kind of wrap our Christmas, our Easter, our Thanksgiving, everything together. And now you have this one last day before things are going to end. And so you maximize that in this case on a Shabbat. And you, I know from my time being over there for, you know, doing volunteer work on Shabbat, uh, it's not just the people that are going and resting. Everything, I mean, they they take, they close the businesses down. Only the only the Russians have a grocery store open um, and uh, they're not kosher. Um, and so you have all of these businesses that are closed down. Everything shuts down in the country on Sabbath. And that's important because that's when they attacked. Yeah, with the first Yom Kippur, that's a different thing where the whole country go is mobile, is immobile entirely. And that's why people would come back from reserve status or from active duty or whatever. And that was a perfect time when everything uh, was at a standstill. And it took more time to mobilize your troops and get them back in the field. So they did that. Now, but that wasn't the case here, mm-hmm. except that uh, it was that, I mean, for the the Islamic agenda was, was not so much that it was a Shabbat, but it was the exact day of the first surprise attack, the Yom Kippur War of 73. And because it was also... Other dates important. It was the date of the assassination by Palestinians of Anwar Sadat, who had made a peace plan with Israel. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was um, a number of other Palestinian attacks on a cruise ship or uh, other things that happened. All of that symbolic for them because it it says, you know, this is when it happened once. We repeat it, and it happens again. Mm-hmm. See it as part of a of a flow of history. Steve, you want to add something? Well, I, I, we think about all the things that have, that have happened uh, during this time. I think about the how early it was in the morning. I think about the fact that it was in a kibbutz. Uh, most of the kibbutzim, but not all of them, are uh, not religious. Um, there are some that are. And the films that I saw uh, were the way they were able to get in. Uh, there was one that I saw where... They were able to get to the main uh, watch station, the uh, the security station, uh, and they shot into a car where the guard was, and they were able to press the button, bring people in, and then they systematically went into the home since it was early in the morning and either shot the, came in and shot them, or if they were in their safe rooms because they heard things, they would burn it and wait till they came out. It's shockingly right, right. like... The Holocaust. Mm. Uh, there's lots of things that are the same, and to the psyche of the Jewish person uh, who who would be there. In fact, uh, some of the one of the captives at least was, was a Holocaust, Holocaust survivor. Yeah. Right. Uh, it 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 t- it took them a while. It's taken us a while to comprehend just the butchery, the animal kind of behavior uh, that had to have, unless you go back to the Holocaust, because they did the same thing. You did our chapel, and you mentioned uh, that uh, these folks were able to come in uh, and kill kids, behead little babies, and then go to their homes and celebrate their children. 
That's exactly what happened when Jewish people were in concentration camps. You would have the, uh, the, the guards and the leaders there do terrible things and then celebrate Christmas on the same property with their family. You want to, would you comment and tell us, uh, this is not just a secular war. We forget that. And you were telling our staff about the religion involved here. Could you comment about that a little bit? Yeah, this is very much part of holy war, jihad, uh, which, by the way, they've been calling for at the same time. Our media tends to downplay that because they uh, don't want to talk about religion. Religion is a personal thing. In our countries, for the most part, we separate politics and religion, Uh, but not so in the Islamic world. They're all one. They're merged together. And so they... Uh, have as part of Quranic teaching uh, that a dehumanizing of the Jewish people. Mm. Uh, it also applies to Christians. You actually know uh, Quranic verses that talk about that. Yeah, this is uh, where Allah punished the Jewish people, they would say, for their idolatry for the things that they had done in the past. But they, they of course, leave out the fact that God, while he brought divine discipline and punishment. He also promises restoration and and uh, future. Uh, that's all gone in their viewpoint. They, but this uh, is a punishment in which he turned uh, people into apes and pigs, two detestable animals uh, for Islam. Just like the Nazis did. The Nazis followed, they dehumanized them as well yeah. and talked about them being vermin or various mm-hmm. other things, infestation, uh, all of this type of thing. Uh and so the same idea is that I've been in many Islamic countries where I've seen the way they treat animals, uh, little puppies that just kick them across the room that have no regard for that. Uh, they slaughter animals. They're used to killing, you know, sheep and goats and things. Uh, this is the, this is what ISIS did. This first time we were aware of it, but they were doing it on that basis because they people were like cattle. And uh, this is what's been happening here. Uh, so. From very early ages, they have to be indoctrinated in the belief that God has taken the Jewish people and made them uh, a type of cancer, a type of disease, a type of um, uh, inhuman uh, beings that basically uh, deserve to be annihilated. That's why you hear the term annihilated, Mm -hmm. because it's a a genocidal thing, And, and Hamas is own charter calls for the complete destruction of Israel uh, in all Jewish people. So there's there's no possibility of reconciliation. But we, we don't understand the depths of this depravity, but it's based on religious conviction. Yes. And then it gets down to the problem of, well, is one religion better than another? Well, certainly mm-hmm. they are. One is evil, one is good, one is right, one is wrong. We have to make that decision because they— can't both be right. Yeah. I want to know your thoughts on um, President Biden's response to it. Uh, I thought when I listened to it, I am thankful that he attacked Hamas directly. And he even, which I've never heard him do before, um, I've never heard him attack the charter. He attacked the charter, which I thought was very good. Maybe you could highlight that charter because I don't think people realize that Hamas actually has its own (laughs) constitution and it is to destroy Israel has its own charter, and the existence of why these people even have power in Gaza is for one one sole reason, and that is the destruction of Israel. 
Right. Now, the charter says that this is not a political problem. Uh, it is not a national problem. It's a religious problem at the core. And, uh, and so, therefore, it, and it cannot be changed. Uh, mm. it's, it's an ongoing, uh, until it's done, uh, calling for the destruction of Israel. Um, with the president, President Biden, he, like others, want to separate the Palestinians from a more extreme or radical element. So Hamas, uh, when Gaza was, when they were given autonomy, Palestinian Authority was given autonomy in Gaza by Ara Sharon as a trade-off for uh, negotiations on Jerusalem. He wanted to not have Jerusalem on the discussion for negotiation, secondary thing, but not primary at the time. So he said, let's trade land for peace, in this case, Gaza. And so the PA uh, took control of it. But then Hamas entered and were basically uh, attacking the Palestinian Authority, taking leaders, throwing them off of high buildings, and they fled and went to uh, other places, like mm-hmm. Ramallah. So Hamas has occupied Gaza, mm-hmm. and they have deliberately kept the population in a state of deprivation. So when the world looks at this, they say, oh, it's the Israelis who have occupied. It's the Israelis who are causing the suffering of the Gazans. No, it's Hamas. It's Hamas. That's doing this yes. with purpose, okay? Um, so the, the president is right in making that kind of distinction, but it keeps also uh, him being able to keep to his agenda of saying, we support the Palestinians and the Palestinian uh, state. That's right. The, the hopeful state. Because the problem, too, is that that ideology, it might not be in every Palestinian in Gaza or every Palestinian in the West Bank, but that ideology actually even crosses borders. And there are Israeli Arabs, um, Muslims, that are taking up the call of uh, fighting against the Jewish people. And they have Israeli citizenship. It's not just something that's bound, you know, our, for, I think for our, the, the um, person listening, it's not an ideology that's bound to Gaza. This is also in oh, the West no, Bank. Of this is spread all throughout. Yeah, so Hezbollah in the north is involved, or uh, Islamic Jihad, or there's many others, but you've had imams in East Jerusalem mm-hmm. calling for their people to take up arms and kill a Jew wherever they could find them. And these are, this is not necessarily Hamas. This is simply that same Islamic ideology that, that's capitalizing on what they hope will be a wider regional uh, support by Muslims. You know, this was a question I asked uh, Dr. Showers, uh, Jim, when um, when this happened on Saturday. You know, a lot of times what happens in the Isra- when with the Israeli-Hamas conflict that's been going on um, for quite some time now, for several years, uh, more than a decade, um, I, you know, you, you look and you realize this is almost as much, it's a real battle, but it also becomes as much a PR war. Uh, a public relations war. And, um, you know, I I think Friends of Israel has been shouting from the rooftops as, as well as the Israeli government and other organizations that Hamas is a real problem. But the moment that Israel gets the opportunity to go in and take care of the issue, uh, all of a sudden the world cries out and says, stop, stop. Do you think this is an outworking of never actually being able to take care of the Hamas issue because of the world pressure that they've had over the years? Well, add to that the backers of Hamas, which is Iran, mm-hmm. right? So Iran 
we're trying to curry favor with Iran. We think stability in the Middle East depends on Iran being able to uh, have certain freedoms in terms of developing itself, they say, for humanitarian purposes, which yeah. we, we know is not the case. But um, so that's a hot potato right now. You can't you can't indict Iran. Yes, just yesterday, Hamas publicly thanked Iran for their support of this attack. It, let's go back to Iran really quick, too, because I always think it's interesting that uh, we we the politicians on both sides of the aisle, but definitely the, the, the Democratic Party, they seem to want to make a deal with Iran to stop their nuclear ambition. But at the same time, this is a perfect example that you, the behavior is there. They want to try to stop a nuclear uh, Iran, but Iran is fully supporting proxy wars all throughout the Middle East that target Israel. They're up in, like you said, northern Lebanon. They're in the West Bank now. Um, they're in Gaza. Uh, but they're so focused on the nuclear component, they're not actually focused on the behavioral component, which we see get played out just last Saturday. And it's kind of amazing how people either ignore or downplay the very obvious statements that are repeated over and over again, death to America, the great Satan, death to Israel, the little Satan. Mm-hmm. Over and over again. I mean, do we not think they mean what they say? I think that's a very important point. Listen to the words. I, yes. I think that's going to be a lesson that's going to come out of this, a refresher. Uh, but, you know, let's go back a little. Uh, Chris, you were a little younger at the time, but I can tell you, in fact, you weren't born at the time. Uh, Gaza comes out of Egypt. It's part of Egypt at one time. Actually, if you go back further than that, it's under the Ottoman Empire, right. and then it's under the British, and then uh, it's under uh, Egypt. And when you when you trace how we got here, Hamas is called Islamic resistance. We, we need to remember Islamic resistance. And in history, in 1993, a famous uh, shaking of hands in Washington, D.C., Yasser Arafat, so happy, oh, yes, smiling, and President... Uh, uh, Clinton is pushing the prime minister. You got to go shake his hand. You, I'm sure you remember that. And at the same time, Yasser Arafat goes back and he speaks in Arabic and says, "This that's when the Intifada would really begin, right after the Oslo Accords. Right. So you have this terrorist organization, Hamas, which uh, you might want to comment. I, I'm not sure to what extent your knowledge is, but the Muslim Brotherhood, the Muslim Brotherhood is the roots of Hamas. Uh, and Egypt, yeah. and you, would you like to comment on the Muslim Brotherhood at all? Well, it's a, it, it poses itself as a moderate Islamic uh, cause, but it's, it's as radical as all of them. And uh, all those who've led the Muslim Brotherhood uh, ultimately have made those statements and sided with the organizations that are attacking Israel. So there's really no difference whatsoever between them because the ideology is the same, unites them. Exactly. So you have this piece of property, Chris, uh, that's 140 square miles. Yeah, it's, it's not t- big. It's not big at all. It's about double the size of Washington, D.C., double the size. And it's got 2 million people mm-hmm. cramped in uh, who the Israelis demonstrated, we know that you're cramped there. Uh they used to have uh, after the sixty-seven war, which uh, uh, six-day war, which gave them Gaza. Israel went to Egypt and said, "You want it back?" Egypt said, "No, yeah. we, we don't want it back." Uh, 
And so they they were willing. They used to have an airport. They they were involved in the fishing industry, but because of the activities of the radical Muslim terrorists, for security purposes, those things had to be done away with because they were not using the airport for tourism on the beach. They could have been like Beirut, but they didn't want to do that for their people, and so it becomes a, an enclave. Uh, where the Israelis for security had to cut it off. And so what happens in 2005? Ariel Sharon, who, quite frankly, I was I disagreed with Ariel Sharon. He's a great general, but he pulled everybody out. And for those of our listeners who might remember, and I know you do, uh, there were Israeli soldiers going into Gaza in, in areas where they had their settlements uh, that were little communities and pulling them Pull out, them. I remember kicking that. and screaming that Israelis were yelling at Israelis, don't do this, my home is here, I've lived here right. the whole time, and they pulled them out. Were there rocket attacks coming into Israel when Israel had control of Gaza between 1967 and 2005? There was, there was bad activity coming out. I don't remember rockets. I don't remember that either. Uh, I, I, you know, as soon as... You have the Israelis out of Gaza. The Palestinian Authority moves in. They burn the synagogue. They burn them. They demand demolish everything that's there. Um, I, I'm just thinking too about the modern situation with Israel calling for those in Gaza to leave in view of their their siege and impending attack. Where are they going to go? Yeah, where, the, the Sinai. The, the, if, the, if Egypt opens the border, e, well, yep. But Egypt doesn't want them. Yep. Nope. Absolutely doesn't want them, and they will actually treat them worse than they've been treated by, by anybody. People don't realize no. that, that Egypt actually, they close, I believe it's the Rafa border right. between yes. the yes. Sinai Peninsula. Right. They don't want them in there because that's where El Sisi is trying, the president of Egypt is trying yes. to deal with uh, the rise of training for, um, for you know, Hamas and these terrorist organizations are happening in the Sinai. You flood them in there, it's only going to continue to help that uh, training for well, uh, it, the terrorists. You know, Chris, when we think of the, there are already calls now of peace, uh, let's calm down and let's pull back. And Israel tested it out with their disengagement, uh, disengagement of letting them rule. So right. what happened when they let them rule? There was a business, a $40 million business that the Israelis left behind. They handed them the keys. Well, hotels, they, all kind of things. Uh, yeah. They gunned it down. They blew it up. They Again, not all the people, but but the radicals. That's they were going to, the Israelis were going to train them to use this agricultural industry yes. that the Israelis built so that the Palestinians had money coming in, some source of income, and they burned it all. That That's right. So in light of the experience that uh, that has already happened in the past, and in light of the just intensity of this attack and the brutality of it, you have a prime minister and, quite frankly, an administration that is saying to the world right now, at least, we're, we're not stopping. And in fact, something different that Israel did that I don't know, uh, you might want to comment on this, Israel normally does a knock-knock on a building. They send texts. They, they, they send a non-powerful thing down that says, we're coming to get you. You better get out. Uh, now they give a mass statement, we're coming, and you got to find a way because it doesn't matter who's there. Yeah. Um, 
this is infuriating people, but what, Dr. Price, what else could Israel do if they don't want this kind of uh, violence upon their people? Well, it has to be a decisive act that finishes this for good. Uh, if, if you don't, I mean, you're not going to eliminate Hamas. There are many other places they can't reach, but you can eliminate it right on your own borders. Mm-hmm. And, and that's and, and where they have access to sea, access to air, all that can be cut off. Um, there's, a, there's a certain punitive uh, measure necessary because it's been stated over, over again that radical forces uh, don't respect weakness, they prey on them. History has taught us that much. So you've got to have a strong response. Uh, first off, the Israeli population demands that. Uh, you know, how, how can you allow these things to go on and just with a slap on the wrist and say, well, we'll, we'll look, overlook it? No, the measure uh, of brutality that's happened uh, argues for a very strong response. Let me just ask this, Chris. We got. I want to transition in a in an important way because we have an expert here. I know. Uh, and so we, you know, uh, Doctor Price. When I go to churches uh, and we do prophecy, uh, oftentimes in the uh, audience are folks who are looking for answers. Mm. Uh, and are there indications in modern news, and how does it stack up with uh, with prophetic implications? And this is a very practical, it's a very good question, and it's very important. You know, there's some TV people who are out there, and they read the news to their people, and then they interpret the Bible through the lens of the newspaper. We don't do that at Friends of Israel. You don't do that. Will you give us some practical aspects and how prophecy, if at all, ties into what we're living right now? Yeah, I think the first thing we need to understand about prophecy is that the events that are prophesied will take time to unfold. There has to be a preparation stage. And so the stage is being set now for what's going to happen in the future. I hear that a lot, staging, important. Yeah, that's right. Um, for us, as we interpret the Bible, we recognize that the signs that are for the future represent a time called the tribulation, which will take place after the time we believe is the rapture of the church. So it's not something we will ourselves see here on earth uh, if we believed in Jesus as the Messiah. So when will the rapture take place, Dr. Price? <laughs> well, it's going to take place before these side events take place. Oh, which one. could be when? <laughs> which could be any time. Okay. You're bad, okay. Steve. You're bad. I, we, I, that, no, we, we need to know that, that in any moment snatching yes, away of the church— yes is the way the church has lived for 2,000 years. Mm-hmm. We need so, to know that. So, but here's the caveat. Uh, while the rapture is a sinus event, it's an imminent event, at the same time there are events that followed the rapture. So if the rapture had happened earlier in history, before, let's say, the state of Israel returned to you know, the land of the Jewish, you could say, well, it's going to maybe take 50 to 100 years for these events to happen before what? We have this time we call the 70th week of Daniel, the tribulation. Uh, but we've been seeing the, the stage being set, more and more actors brought on the stage. It's like the curtain's ready to go up now. So that time is being shortened. So as we, we look to see what's happening uh, with events like this, for instance, it's my personal interpretation that something like the Battle of Gog and Magog, which you see at Ezekiel 38, 39, um, it has certain players that come on the on the stage. 
Uh, Iran is one of those called Persia. Uh, the area to the north, which was ancient Scythica, in my interpretation of Rosh and other things, that would be modern-day Russia. And then you have uh, clearly these different uh, names of Torgama and all these others that are part of modern Turkey. Okay. So these are names in the Bible that are players... We're, they're in the news right now. Oh, absolutely. And not only that, they have announced over and over again for like at least the last decade military alliances. They've had joint mm-hmm. operations. Uh, Turkey has come out very vocally saying that Jerusalem is the center of their concern, that they want to support uh, the causes, the Islamic causes in Jerusalem. Uh, you've had the same thing in Iran. Iran is repeatedly said this type of thing. Uh, and then Russia, which doesn't really have any stake in these kind of issues, wants to control more things in Europe and is using the Middle East as a means to get there. And they have these alliances. So whatever Iran does will be supported by Russia. Whatever Turkey does will be supported by Russia and by Iran. Well, if an invasion of Israel is staged, or at least on the horizon because of the events that are happening now, because Iran is backing Hamas. Hmm. If if that is attacked and then someone says, we need to get to the real source of this, cut off the head of the snake, then you're talking about Iran. Well, this could be something that projects into a nuclear conflict or draws many nations involved. That that could be the precursor to this very invasion. It's I think that's, up in the future. I think that's important that you you explain. So when, when, our, uh, when Christians look at what's happening— I think the best thing to say is God in his providence and sovereignty is lining things up on a continual basis. We're just seeing things come a little faster and closer than in previous uh, times of the church. Would that be accurate? Yeah, that's accurate. I think we always say it could be this. Yep. We have to be careful. Uh, but we have the clear scriptural understanding of events. I mean, there's a lot of details there about what's going to happen, and it's a phenomenal that's it's line it up the way the scripture said, you know, 2,500 years ago. Mm. So it's the type of thing where we can look at that and gain some confidence that God is in control. He's moving things in a direction. How soon we get there, of course, is up to him. You know, to me, the safest place in the world to be is Israel. Even Talking right now today, the safest place to be, Chris, I don't know if you agree. I've always said that. Safest place, you know why? Because God promised they'd be there. He didn't promise America We'd be there. Mm-hmm. Uh, we we don't have any idea where America's going to be. Uh, so if you're in Israel right now, uh, and uh, and we're praying for you, and it's difficult, uh, but I'm telling you, it's always the safest place because God promised it always will be there. There'll always be a people of Israel, and there'll always be the land of Israel. Mm. You know, the divine preservation of the Jewish people is one of the great witnesses of God's power throughout history. You have all the nations that came against Israel in the past are all gone. All the Hittites, Jeb, all the ites. You know, they're all gone. They're all gone. They're all gone. But Israel lives, and that is a dramatic uh, testimony of the fact that God has a purpose and a plan for Israel. So you're right. There's no promise to America that it will last or any other European country. That we have a future for Israel and a particular future for the city of Jerusalem. Uh, Preach it, (laughs) Doctor Price. How does Psalm 83? fit into this good uh, question, what, we're, what we're seeing unfold in front of us? Well, in my opinion, it doesn't, because I don't see it as a prophecy. 
All right, it's not it's not geared as a prophecy. Some of the the because of the statement that you know keep Israel from being a nation again, or, or you know destroy them. Uh, from, these are these are things in the mouths of some of the current uh, aggressors against yeah. Israel. Yes, and it would seem like you know the Psalms eighty three war is going to come, but a lot of the players in Psalms eighty three don't exist today. They're no longer a people, and it's very hard to relate them to any people. We don't have Edomites. We don't have others like this. Mm-hmm. So you can't really do that. And there, while I believe the Psalms uh, have messianic content and therefore many of them are prophetic, not all of them are prophetic. So I'm, I'm more careful to say I don't think it's a prophecy. Uh, certainly the attitude of the past is the attitude of the present. When you talk about anti-Semitism. It's been here as long as the evil one has been here, fomenting that in the hearts of people. Uh, to come against God's people. Psalm 83, I've uh, interpreted the same way as you. It's not, some people like to say it's a prophetic battle. I, I've never mm-hmm. seen it that way. I, like, I, I see it as an, the, the heart of anti-Semitism yes. um, from the beginning of time till right. the very end as well. Um, so there is some prophecy connected to it, but it's not an actual event that right. anti-Semitism will continue on L- until let, the Lord Jesus returns. Let me returns. read it, Chris, and let, just, sure. just so we have some, con- sometimes we dance around the word, uh, it's just the first three verses, and I'm, I've, that was such a great question. I really appreciate Dr. Price's answer. Do not keep silent, O God. Do not hold your peace, and do not be still, O God. For behold, your enemies make a tumult, and those who hate you have lifted up their head. They have taken crafty counsel against your people and consulted together against your sheltered ones. They have said, come, and let us cut them off from being a nation, that the name of Israel may be remembered no more. That That is a condition that has existed from the time that God called the Jewish people, uh, the apple of his eye, the chosen people. Uh, it's a time that Jewish people, when they read it, almost all of us for the first time, I wish he would have chosen somebody else <laughs> who needs the aggravation. Why does he choose us? Aye, aye. That's true, but yet that's the condition, and this is just another example, horrible as it is, another example of Psalm 83, that condition of anti-Semitism, that condition, whatever God loves, Satan hates. And I'd like you to comment a little, if you would, on the satanic attack that—it's not just Jewish people, it's the church. Whatever God loves, Satan hates. Can you comment a little bit about the war that really is being fought that we don't see? Well, this is called the invisible war, but it's not so invisible because we see it manifest (laughs) everywhere. Uh, The very fact that from the beginning, uh, Satan, who knows the end already, he knows Scripture better than most people know Scripture. Uh, He's aware, but he's also somehow convinced because he is... uh, He's a liar and the father of lies, so he's deceived himself. He's a deceiver. He's also one who's a destroyer. So by his very nature, he deceives and destroys, uh, and that's all he can do. He's locked into that. He, he can't move outside of that. He was determined uh, when he made his choice to uh, reject all that he knew, and he knew God face to face and left that. Uh, there's no going back. And so... Throughout history, as he watches the Messianic purpose unfold, as he sees God's people uh, in God's land trying to have a witness uh, for God among the nations, which is 
the nation's destiny, that they will be blessed through the Jewish people. Uh, he has attacked that in every way possible. Uh, he's attacked it uh, in terms of trying to disrupt that seed from even becoming uh, the Messianic seed. Um, he's tried to, in many ways, uh, corrupt the seed. Yeah. So but, you're talking about from so, Genesis 3.15 and then oh, Genesis yeah. 6. Yeah, all, all the way through. So, uh, And you can see God... God said very clearly, I've chosen you among all the nations of the world. I've known you among all the nations of the world. Therefore, he says, I will punish you for all your iniquities. The issue here is too much is given, much is required. And so while Israel has been blessed and will be blessed among uh, above all nations, it also will be disciplined above all nations because of that accountability that it has. Satan has known that. He knows God's character, that God has to be consistent with that. And so he, is, he has led the Jewish people into many avenues, idolatry, complaints, uh, whatever it would be, and which would bring about divine justice. Uh, at the same time, God has that overworking uh, program. I, I support Israel. I made promises to Israel. This is my land. This is my people. It will, it will come out the way I intended so we have that unique situation today where you have a promised land and a promised people, but you also have them under current divine judgment because of the rejection of God and the Messiah. So he will work that out, but Satan is using that at the present time as well. Part of that is this deep anti-Semitic um, hatred, not just of the other or the foreigner, but in this case of the Jewish people, the only way you could explain is anti-Semitism is that it's because it is against God because Jewish people represent God. Mm. There's there's no other, they're his. And uh, for that reason, they're attacked by those who do not know God or are opposed to any program. Uh, even if they don't understand it uh, themselves, somehow deep within themselves, that's what causes that reaction. You, you know, it segues back to what you started off by saying, that the Jewish people were kind of taken back because they felt they were secure. Uh, you know, the Holocaust happens three years later. Uh, the Jewish people have their homeland, and they've been able to defend it. Uh, Satan is the one that's been uh, attacking all this time, and and to have these kind of organizations, which we, we believe— any organization that uh, where their religion is saying kill the Jews uh, right. from the river to the sea, it behind the, the person behind that hatred has to be Satan, and that's why it must must be so difficult for the Israelis at this time because they thought they had a safe haven, right. and it doesn't feel that way anymore. And it also needs to be recognized that anybody that supports. The Jewish people, whether it be righteous Gentiles in the time of the Holocaust or organizations like Friends of Israel who seek to, to in some way support and encourage uh, the Jewish people at this time, they're going to be subject to that same attack. Yeah, you, you know, uh, Elwood McQuaid, who's 93 years old, yeah. uh, uh, when he travels around, uh, when he was traveling around as our executive director, his wife Maxine, as he would go to various Israeli thing. She said, "Why don't you just put a a uh, uh, a target on your chi on your front of your shirt? Just just let it be. Just put the target there." And, and what you're saying, it's yes. we we could joke about it, and he joked about it. But that's in fact uh, 
the righteous Gentiles were willing to put their lives on the line to hide Jewish people at the expense, and in some cases it happened, of their own lives. And that's what happens, because the sat- Satan hates uh, whatever God loves. You talked about prophecy. In, in the future, Matthew chapter 25 says that when the Son of Man returns, sits on his throne, he's going to bring all the nations before him. It'd be a time of judgment, of separation mm. of, again, the righteous among the nations and those who are not. The standard for that judgment is when you did this to the least of these brethren of mine. Uh, as I understand it, already there's been the national repentance and then, uh, shall we say, salvation of Israel. They're all standing by uh, around the throne. Here is the Gentile nations brought up. And the test uh, that will determine whether some go into the kingdom or some go into everlasting punishment is based on what they did to those Jewish people. Isn't that interesting? And it's, it, you know, so in a, in, during the tribulation period, so these are people who basically have to lay down their life to help the Jewish people in a time of, of persecution that's coming. Can, can I divert really quick? I, w- I would like to find out just so that our people can get a grip on you know Israel in in when it when this battle when this attack happened, Israel was a divided country. They were uh, politically divided. I mean, we're talking split in two, um, a lot of turmoil. Um, what do you think is going to happen um, with the Knesset as a result of of this attack? Number one, it, it seems as though Israel's unified right now, um, at least from what I'm reading coming out of the the news um and they still have their differences but they have a different agenda right now where they unify under that agenda what's going to happen to the knesset though which is the how the parliament of of israel what do you think the future is of that i think it all depends on how they do their analysis of the intelligence failure how this disaster happened you remember back in 73 golda Meir was ready to resign over this, so there were calls for that, uh, and and Benjamin Netanyahu seems to have been doing things or be part of that failure. So that could be a difficulty for him. Oh um, yeah, there are people predicting he's done already. Yeah. Once it's over, there are. So this, we, we don't know. I mean, Bennett went and joined the military to. That's amazing. Him. That was yeah. a yeah. good move. It's a good move, but. Uh, uh, it's it's hard to say. It, your religious parties uh, are behind a lot of this, and it depends how much they want to stress um, what needs to be done to secure Israel at times like this. Yeah, and it's tough, too, because a lot of the um, non-religious Israelis have a hard time listening to the religious Israelis who never actually served in the military because they get to, they're exempt from it. So that's where a lot of the, the tension as, you know, is in that how can you tell us how to fight a war when you never were in it to begin with? Not all religious people, but that's a policy they have. If you're religious, it's an option of whether or not you want to serve in the military or not. I think the election's going to go once this is over, and we pray it's it's soon and it's decisive on the part of Israel. But once it is, I I don't know how it's going to play out, but I I I think there's going to be some cleaning out of some reps mm-hmm. in uh, I. Israelis are. This has shaken them, and that the way to answer it is through your vote. And mm-hmm. I don't know which way it's going to go, but look, you you can't. If when you feel like you're frustrated and you can't, how do I change this? You you look to the top and say, 
Look, I, you know I go to sports. If your team loses 100 games, right. you're not going to put the same people out there and yeah. say, oh, yeah, let's let's trust them. Look at what we got. Yeah. Uh, it's not going to happen that way. And um, Yeah, talk to Bill Belichick, right? That, that's that, it's a good ex, a good example mm-hmm. of people Everything just saying, was going it great doesn't with matter Bill. what you did for me. What have you done for me lately? Mm-hmm. And that's how change happens. Yeah, exactly. I'll tell you another interesting thing I'm watching uh, because – this is not mentioned in the media, but the cause of this attack, it, it was something from the past and is still ongoing. It's the Temple Mount. It's the mm. holy sites. Yes. And this is what Hamas and others announced. They called this a victory in the battle for Jerusalem mm-hmm. and have, have, have called it a, a, a flood of, of uh, uh, attack against you know Jerusalem. Well, We've already seen a, a lot of secular support, uh, really an overwhelming secular support for the Temple Mount, which didn't exist in the past. And the reason is because... You're saying secular Israelis. It's secular Israelis. Wow. Because yeah, that while, is a while they're not religious, their support is the fact that we have uh, sovereignty in this country and over Jerusalem, which is our city from 3,000 years, yet we have no access to this site Jews are being forbidden. And so I think that's been part of the support for Jews being able to go to the Temple Mount to mm. pray, which is against the status quo. The status quo status has been gone a long time mm. with the building of new mosques and other things. All right, so what comes out of all of this, if, if it's understood that this whole attack, this whole agenda was based on that, might be a softening of a position within the Knesset to consider opening that Temple Mount up or changing its policy uh we don't know i mean that that's considered a provocation for the entire islamic world but it may be that that doesn't matter anymore and if that's the case then we really are going down a prophetic road so, you know it, wait, wait wait chris sorry I, go ahead we you're we, my boss you can no, you always no, no, get no. that <laughs> we got we when 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 dr price brings up jerusalem and the temple yeah bada bing bada do you bada. know i think dr price and god are in competition with who wrote more about the temple. His book on the temple is bigger than the Bible. I use it to flatten out papers that have become become wrinkled. That book, it took me uh, like six months to get through that book. You know a lot about the temple Mm. and a lot about prophecy. In fact, Chris, tell them how they could get... Well, first, tell us, you have Jerusalem and Prophecy and the Temple... As well, uh, a book about, I just call it the Temple Book, but it has a full name. Yeah. What's the name of it? Well, first I'm amazed you read so slow. Uh, that's, yeah. <laughs> I can t- I, wait, you don't know I graduated in the top 10% of the lower third of my class. <laughs> yeah. So that's why it's slow. But uh, Chris, here at Friends of Israel, we sell that book. Mm-hmm. And it is, yes, it took me forever. I confess, it took me forever. But it's a great book. It gives you great insight and we sell a couple of Dr. Price's books, and we should tell them how they can get it. Yeah, we'll put all the links for all of your books that we sell um, on our show notes so that people can access all of your materials. He's an archaeologist. Oh, the my guy. goodness. I actually, uh, Dr. Price, I was looking up, because uh, you are the um, the president of World of the Bible, which you can go to worldofthebible.com. But He's the, amazing. But the first, this is the first picture. Him popping out of a cave doing archaeological <laughs> work. Great, it's my favorite. You are the, great, you are hey, the man. I've been to his house when he was in, living in Virginia. The guy has more stones in his house, that back then at least, than the museums have. <laughs> I mean, he went down to the basement 
It's like, oh yeah, 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 yeah. How do you? It, it, how do you dust those kinds of things? <laughs> anyway, how could they get his He's book? ready to get out of well, here. Now, you know, my wife is here, so I know. you can ask those kind of questions. How does he do her. it? How does he do that? Oh, she's not answering. She doesn't want to answer. She's saying, this thing is making me crazy. Well, I do want to ask, uh, before we let you uh, tell people how they can access everything that you're doing, Dr. Price, I, I would like to, you said something important about the temple. Um, the temple is in the West Bank, and a lot of people are saying one of the reasons... Judea, Samaria. Judea, Samaria, exactly. So, um, we don't use the West Bank that's here. That's true. Uh, <laughs> Judea, Samaria, which is also called the West Bank for those Americans yes. who don't know what that means. That's right. Um, and so when, when, when you were talking about the temple, it brought to mind that a lot of uh, analysts are saying the reason this attack happened is because Israel's energies were invested in terrorism in the West Bank. And so there was... Uh, you know, a lot of the energies were invested there and not on the Gaza border at the time. Can you speak to that? Because it also highlights that the battle is not just in Gaza. It's actually even closer to Jerusalem. There's been a lot of recent terrorist activity in the West, uh, in Judea, Samaria, the West Bank. Um, that is uh, that is going to be important to the understanding Jerusalem as well and what Israel well, has to deal with. Just understanding Jerusalem itself, uh, it, the fact that that is the non-negotiable for Israel and throughout the world. I mean, there's this is the eternal capital for 3,000 years, it, 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 and yet it's the one factor that every one of the, shall we say, oppositions to Israel in the Islamic world say they must have. They must dominate. They must control. They deny practically there was ever a temple there. Mm -hmm. They will say these things. So does the UN. Right. And, yeah. I mean, it's, uh, and they will say that every archaeological uh, activity is simply trying to undermine their mosque and their structures and collapse them. It, it's all the the political rhetoric that's used uh, with a revisionist history that has come with the Palestinians. But uh, I would say that, you know, look, when you look at that, you say, yes, you have to invest a lot there because uh, all of the major Jewish feasts have some focus on the Temple Mount. And then the Muslim feast like Ramadan has a huge focus there. And there's always the potential every year for conflict on the Temple Mount. We saw it just a few months ago. Mm -hmm. It's part of what has fomented the reaction at this point, according to Hamas. So that's not going to change unless some dramatic things change. Uh, according to the Islamic world, uh, Jerusalem is the catalyst for the next world war from Islam's point of view. Yeah. So, I mean, what, what, can, what can you say except that uh, we need to understand Jerusalem better? I do have a book on that, by the way, Friends of Israel publishes called Jerusalem and Prophecy, yep. which connects the dots for people to help them understand that behind all of the holy war, religious war, Jerusalem is at the center. And, and so, yes, that's considered West Bank. But mm -hmm. Jerusalem is 60, uh, in the West Bank, the eastern part of Jerusalem, which is considered once West Bank, is 60% of the whole city. Yeah. With Hadassah Hospital and Hebrew University and, and Knesset and, and Supreme Court. Everything is there. And yet that's contested throughout mm. the Islamic world as though you know Israel did not exist. Hamas, of course, has never recognized the existence of the Israeli state. So that's part of it as well. Mm.
Uh, Steve, I'd like to turn in our final moments that we have here. I'd like to turn to the support component of America, of the world, the nations supporting Israel. I've been overwhelmed by the support that's going on. It's fantastic. Um, but then I've also been overwhelmed by the support of Hamas, which is mind-blowing as well. I don't think those numbers are maybe as high as the support that we're seeing globally for support for Israel. But when I see in France thousands of people with a big Israeli flag, and I see them in Germany, like I think what we're, we have a, a news article yeah, we here. We do. But I just want to talk about that uh, with Dr. Price, too. But I also want to talk about hey, the support for Hamas and the— just the other day, Rashida. Uh, yesterday, Rashida Talib was chased down um, by a Fox News. The journalist. only time she's been speechless. <laughs> it's the only time. Yeah, she's, she always has something to say until they asked her about beheading of babies. Do you approve of that? And she just nothing. kept walking. Yeah. Well, they put up a Palestinian flag in many government offices and places around to show support and solidarity with the Palestinian cause, which they consider to be uh, some type of apartheid state or oppressed people. So it's it's part of a liberal agenda for equity or whatever. Because oftentimes you'll you'll see these well, get into that, but you'll see one flag by other flags yes. which represent them. Um they're not looking at the issues. They're not looking at Hamas and that it's been the source as other parts of the Islamic world for the suffering of the Palestinians. In other words, it's it's the Palestinian authorities, the Pal- it's Hamas, it's the government that has affected the lives of their people. Mm-hmm. To support that supports further persecution and problems for the for the Palestinian people. Uh, I know I have many many friends throughout the Palestinian territories, and uh, they will they will frankly admit that, mm. but they'll stand in solidarity religiously with the causes, but they don't like their government. They know it's corrupt. It's it's. Uh, grafting and corruption throughout all those governments. Well, and that's part of the problem, too. We've mentioned this on the program in the past, is that, uh, you know, the Abbas administration that's been around much longer than it was supposed to, that administration is hanging on because if they have elections, there's a good chance Hamas could get elected into West Bank, into the West Bank politics of the Palestinian people. He is, the, I mean, they're keeping him in that place, and they all hate him. They don't like Talk him. Talk about an old guy. He's another old yeah, guy. Yeah, he's, uh, what do you call that again? Elder uh, Cocker. An Elder Cocker. But the problem is, is that if he, there is an actual election, it might not play out well for Israel. Well, this has to say something about the the Palestinian people as a whole. They had a democratic election. They could have elected a democratic government, and they didn't. They didn't. Hamas. Mm-hmm. Okay, they saw Hamas supporting a lot of the charities and things like this it was all for political purposes, but the ideology of Hamas, which was totally opposed to the state of Israel, was it was adopted by them and made their government. Mm-hmm. And so, how our, our State Department can't support Hamas because it's on the terrorist list? Yeah, as it should be. As it yeah. should be. And yet they represent the, the majority of the Palestinian people. That's right. Well, Chris, we do have some uh, news here related to what we're yeah, talking about. And, and you have links set up. I will have them I'm, in there. Emphasize yep. that. Uh, the one we talked about uh, that people can access uh, in Germany, which I'll be going to Germany. And hopefully, Chris, for our listeners, we will be doing our second remote. Our second remote. That's because you're traveling like uh, crazy. Uh, I'm going to be in Germany. And here in Berlin... Brandenburg Gate is a it's got a it's got a star of David. That's Chris, amazing. That's a fantastic thing. 
Then you got uh, Sydney. You got London, 10 Downing Street. Uh, in Sydney, you have, uh, oh, man, look at that Israeli flag on there. And in Miami, of course, Miami Beach, <laughs> where my people hang out. Uh, it's the suburb of New York City. That's so, right. <laughs> so what's happening there? Uh, they've got uh, the words uh, the word solidarity spelled in English and Hebrew in the Miami World Center skyscraper. Look at that, Chris. Yes, I love it. Look, it takes something so awful. We we I wish they didn't have to do this, but at least they did it in light of what has happened. There is a sense of solidarity, and even, then, even in Kiev. You know, yeah, yeah, so yeah. Gonna... which is in in Poland. Which well, is even great. Uh, Zelensky Ukraine. had come out and said Israel has a right to defend its. You know, that's a right. that's a big powerful voice right now in the world to hear Zelensky, the president of Ukraine, saying uh, that Israel has a right to defend itself. I mean, that's a no brainer to us, but for the rest of the world, they have to hear this because I don't think the world realizes what Israel's about to do. This is a full scale war. Right. This isn't the previous operations that took place where they're going to throttle things forward and throttle things back. I think this is going to be a full throttle for the next few weeks. Um, I and, agree. And uh, it could spark a greater regional battle. It already, the, the, it already is. It's a three-front war, according to the Jerusalem Post, uh, That before I came here. Uh, they're already. It's not terrible yet, but it's happening. But the other news item, we, we have two more. Uh, you know, 1973, there is a, a person who uh, was in the tank battalion, uh, Avigdor Kahalani, uh, he's a hero in Israel. They recognize him. And in 1973, he held off 1,200 tanks with just a few of his guys. As tank blew up, he'd go to another tank. He's regarded as beloved. Well, there's been another hero that has emerged from here. Uh, his name is Yuri Maman. And he was looking for orders. Chris, this is interesting. Our people, you got to have orders, right? Where do we go? He had his tank, but nobody told him anything. So you know what he did? Thank God he did. He told just a group of men, there's our tank. Let's load it up. Uh, get all the stuff we can. He's still trying to contact people. Nobody is there. And he's just stuck. He sees the people out there. He's just shooting at everything he can find. Finally, after a long time and holding off a number of, of people, uh, finally, his commanders come in. He's telling them what they're doing. He held off. He saved that his particular uh, area. Amazing. Uh, and so we have that story for our people there. And then a little humor, Chris. Before you get to the humor, okay. in light of this, too, I want to say, have you all seen the videos of uh, everybody, all the reservists going to battle in Israel? You know, once you're done with the Israeli army at the age of 21, I think you're in the reserves till you're 40. Is that what 45, it is? 45, I think it is. Yeah, something like that. So you're in the reserves, and I think they had a 130% reserve rate that showed up for battle, which means even more people were showing oh, up. Oh, wait, that didn't Chris, happen. I got something to show you. You, you got you, put, Are you talking about the cars lined up on the highway? No, I'm talking about Amari, Amir, wait, it's from Amir Safari. Yeah. Uh, 95-year-old reservist, the oh. oldest reservist, put and it up on a camera. And he's ready to fight. <laughs> well, I'll put this up so people can see I, it. Honestly, I'll put a, a 95-year-old reservist, you know what You know what it says? It, look, he. I, I'm sure he'd shoot his gun, but he's just saying, move. We got to move. We got to protect our people. 
and you're never too old. Uh, it's your country. I, I just think that's outstanding. But the highways are lined with cars because they're all heading to the battlefield and there's nowhere to park. So they just park on the highway and then they walk miles to the battlefield and you can watch a video of a guy driving and it's just cars parked all along the highways because people are just imagine just driving to battle. You're just driving from your home or your job or wherever to battle. And there you are. And there you'll be for a little bit. And they're all willing to serve their country. Uh, I was talking with a friend. Yes. Or my brother-in-law yesterday. And he said, I don't know if our country would do that. Uh, you know, it's something to process, but it's, it's, Israel is such a, they have a great pride. They might be divided on issues, but they have a great pride for their country. Exactly. I know. I, I agree with you. And, uh, I read a story about a couple uh, recently married in 2019. They live in New York. They love the New York scene. You know, an average Israeli will tell you uh, they they get calm. They get like Nirvana in New York compared yeah, to what it's like. I've never heard that before. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They say they're nice drivers uh, in New York. They say they're nice drivers. <laughs> I go there to relax. <laughs> New York City, because compared to life in Israel. But uh, this New York couple... He got up, he got he got his papers, and he got up and turned to his wife, and he said, I got to go. I got to go. And you know what she said? You do. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a wife saying, you got to go. And uh, found There's out- charter flights for Israelis. That's right. So he got to the airport and saw all the other reservists, and he arrived safely, and he's there to fight. But, Chris, last week we talked about, remember the anti-Semitism in Beechwood, 11,000 out of 14,000 people in a community in Ohio. I know that community very well. And of course, our foot that football team lost 35 to 3, but they law they they were called Nazis. That's why we talked mm-hmm. about anti-Semitism. Well, Dean Kramer, who is a professional Israeli-American pitcher for the Baltimore Orioles, uh, and I just, of course, I, I just found it out yesterday and I'm watching the game. He's got a star of David. On his neck. And they're saying, oh, Dean has been, he has family in Israel. He's so concerned. The manager told him, you don't have to pitch today if it's, you know, it's emotionally draining. He said, no, I got to go out there. And he got creamed. (laughs) (laughs) Is that a sign for Jewish baseball players? I admire him for, I was on his side and boom, a home run. (laughs) Boom, another home run. That made news. his not news that he lost, but news concerning his pride. A hundred percent. News concerning his character and his family and unwavering support for the nation of Israel. So even though the Orioles got uh, eliminated and Dean didn't have a great day, we admire him here on the Jew and the Gentile podcast for being willing to 100%. get out there. And we're, we're excited about that. Steve, this is the one Yiddish word of the day that we're doing right here, okay? Uh, uh, I know you chose a few, but I, we're, I we're running out of time. All right. So why don't you we're go ahead? We're running out of time. We never run out of time. <laughs> All right. The Yiddish word of the day is gedank. 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 What does that mean? Remember. Mm. Chris, that's so appropriate. For the Jewish people, we remember uh, what they went through and what they are going through. And as believers... Even in the midst of tribulation, Jesus said in the world you'll have tribulation, we remember that God has a plan and program, and in the end, his name will be glorified, and he wins the day. Preach it. Now, forget the Baltimore Orioles. They lost the day. Jesus Christ is will win the day and seat, sit on the throne in Jerusalem. 
as King of Kings. Gedank, remember. Gedank, remember. Hey, Dr. Price, before you go, and Mrs. Price, before you go, thank you for being with us. Yeah, how thanks can people, for putting up with us. Yeah, how can people get in touch with your ministry, Dr. Price, and all the literature and everything that you're doing, the tours to Israel, You know, everything. we do have seven listeners, so they, they do want to get a hold of you. <laughs> we might get eight now. because yeah, wait, Maybe eight. All right, worldofthebible.com is the, is the website, and you'll find all kind of good free information there. Oh, free, 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 free. Yes, free. free. That's fantastic. But also uh, information how you can uh, access other resources. Okay, great. So that's worldofthebible.com. That's correct. Everyone, worldofthebible.com. That's for Dr. Price and all the fantastic information that he has. You want to be able to go there, worldofthebible.com. Hey, just a fresh reminder, this Thursday, tomorrow night, we're going to be doing two weeks on Shabbat. Dr. Price was talking about the importance of Shabbat for the modern Israeli people. Well, that didn't just come Peter out of thin. Peter Cologne, that, our resident scholar. That's biblical. So uh, we're going to be doing a two weeks on Shabbat. You can register by going to foiequip.org. Again, that's foiequip.org. Prices, thank you so much for being with us, sharing all your insights, your passion, and your love for Israel and the Jewish people and your love for the Lord. Hey, everybody, please be praying for Israel right now. We want to seriously be praying for our friends, our loved ones who are over there. And uh, we, we, we ask the Lord to protect them and guide them during this difficult time. Hey, we'll see you next week.